You know, again, Christmas, at, at its essence, is, is a light, the Bible says, that comes down to us from heaven and enters the darkness. A very, very beautiful light that enters a very, very dark world. I hope that this imagery of Jesus being the light that enters the darkness becomes very meaningful to you. I hope that it gets your mind and my mind, our hearts, around the true meaning of Christmas, which can be missed so easily. Merry Christmas, everybody. To all, to all of you at the Compass Church, what a full house. The, the passion and the energy in this room is just electric. And I'm so excited and honored to celebrate the birth of Christ with you all. You know, I want to ask you two questions for this study together. And if, if you can answer these two questions from the heart, I think it'll serve you well and you'll be blessed by that authenticity. You know, one of the most common questions that's asked at Christmas time is, do you believe in Santa? <laughs> well, parents, relax. We're not going to discuss that question, all right? But it's similar. The two questions are this. The first is, do you believe in the darkness? And don't answer because you don't know what I'm talking about when I say darkness. That'll become clear as we go along. But do you believe in darkness? And the second is like it. Do you believe in the light? Do you believe in light? And again, I'll explain what that means. But I'm praying that you have the courage not to answer to anybody else, but to yourself. Do you really believe in those two things? Well, in, in this particular message, uh, we're using this Gary Lutz story, and maybe some of you think we went a little overboard in the telling of that story. Man, was that crazy? We had lights going all over and sound reverbing through this place. I thought bats were in the house there for a moment. And you see that I traveled with the team. It turns out we don't have caves in our area. And so we had to drive to southern Indiana and drive back and team and all kinds of equipment. It was a lot of work to tell that story. And some of you thought, why did you go through all that labor, Jeff? Couldn't you have told the Gary Lute story just standing here and tell it like it is? Here's, Here's why we went to that extra effort. We were hoping that somehow with that creativity, you could enter into the cave You could feel yourself being a part of that story. Did you feel the scariness of the darkness there? Some of you kids did. Did you feel or imagine what it would be like to be trapped with your kids in that dark place? I hope you can feel the terror of the darkness, and I hope you can feel the rejoicing elation of the light when that word, when that call came and the light shined, the joy that they must have felt is so amazing. And the reason that I'm longing and praying that you and I can enter into the emotion of the Gary Lutz story is because Gary Lutz's story is your story and mine. And you say, no, it's not. I've never been trapped in a cave. Well, according to the Bible, we all have been trapped in the darkness spiritually speaking. We've all been trapped in the darkness, and our only hope is the rescuing of the light. And so my prayer is that we will so enter into this 
Christmas story because the Gary Lutz story is the Christmas story, and the Christmas story is our story. And you say, no, it's not Christmas story. It's Jesus' story. It's not my story. You're right. It's Jesus' story, but it's also your story. It's, it's where the story of Jesus and the story of you intersect. And I pray that you will see how your life connects with this child who was born 2,000 years ago through the image of light, through the story of Gary Lutz, and through this passage I'm so excited to study with you. Two verses out of Luke 1. These two verses were first uttered by an old man by the name of Zechariah. He was a, he was a priest back in the days of Jesus, actually a distant relative of Jesus. And a few weeks before Jesus was born, Zechariah was filled with the Spirit of God and uttered these two words that so beautifully describe Christmas. A couple weeks before the birth, Zechariah said, you know what's about to happen? I'll I'll tell you what's about to happen. It's a baby coming, and here's what it's like. Luke 1, verses 78 and 79, it says, The light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness. Doesn't this sound like the Gary Lutz story? To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. So in in that verse, I have a question for you. Who is the light from heaven? Kids, anyone know? Who is the light who comes to us from heaven? Jesus, that's right. You know, as a rule, when you're asked a question in church, you just say Jesus. You get the answer right most of the time. You know what I mean? That's right. Jesus is the light that comes to us from heaven. And then the verse talks about those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. That's us. This is our story. We are those who are in trouble. And Jesus is the one, the light who comes to rescue us and to guide us to the path of peace. Uh, Peace is shalom. That's the Hebrew concept. It's life the way it was meant to be. Life where it is well with your soul, where you have joy and hope and passion. Jesus wants that for us, and he's come to bring it. But here's the verse. And so we see the concepts. Remember I asked you two questions? Uh, The concepts are in there. The first was, do you believe in the light? Oh, no, actually, the first was darkness, wasn't it? Do you believe in the darkness is the first question. The second is, do you believe in the light? And so let's dive into that. Do you believe in the darkness? Let's start with that question, shall we? What is darkness? If I'm going to answer if I believe in it or not, you've got to explain what, what you mean by that. Well, darkness is the absence of light, right? And in this passage, light is symbol, symbolic of God, of Jesus. And so the absence of God, someone who's trapped sitting in the darkness, is isolated from the Lord, And that person who's been alienated from God is experiencing death. The Bible says if you don't have the Lord, you don't have life. And sure enough, this passage talks about the shadow of death. The Bible describes the human situation as one of great despair. The Bible says that we are all sinners, that we have rebelled against God, that we've morally failed, we've done much that he has said not to do, and we've failed to do that which he said we should do. And as a result from our rebellion, we have been separated from God. Our relationship with him is broken. 
we're separated from the light. We're in darkness. This is what the Bible says is the condition of all people. And the question is, do you believe that? So many, so many people say, no, nah, I'm not in the darkness. No, no, I'm good. I'm good. You know, uh, I mean, there are some who are in the darkness. Yeah, admittedly. Ooh, I mean, Darcy, for example, she's in the darkness. She's got issues, but, but not me. You know, I'm, I'm good. And if you ask people if they're going to heaven, somebody would say, yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to heaven. I'm I'm a pretty good guy. And what they're saying is, I don't have a spiritual problem. I'm not stuck in the darkness, separated from the light. I'm good. And you know why they say they're good? Because they're comparing their moral status to those around them. That's usually why we say that. Compared to others, I'm doing okay. You know, my daughter, Jora, just turned 16, and she got her driver's license a week ago. Oh, boy. Look out. She's on the roads, people. She's actually a very good driver. But now that Jora has her driver's license, that she's passed the written and the road test, she views herself as a driving authority, so much so that she's taken upon herself to critique her father's driving. Yeah. Yeah. I was out on, uh, for a while, I was on I-88, and then I was on 355, and I was going a little fast. I was doing 65 miles an hour, for crying out loud. Have you done 65 on the expressway? Oh, don't lie to me. Yes, you have. And Jora said, Dad, you're speeding. The speed limit's 55. She says, Dad, you're going to get a ticket, Dad. God wants us to obey the law. She goes, Dad, you're speeding. And I'm like, well, Jory, this is complex. Technically, I am. You're right. But Jory, let let, let me explain. This is so bad. I'm embarrassed what I said, but I'm going to tell you what I said, all right? I said, Jory, look around. Everybody's doing it. I even went further. I said, Jorah, if I was driving 55, I'd be a hazard and in danger. And I said, darling, don't worry about me getting a ticket. It's not going to happen. I have found that if you're right in the median, if you're driving with everybody else, if you're in the bunch doing about the same speed, you're not going to get a ticket. And uh, it's actually true. I mean, you've experienced that yourself, you know. It may be true for the roads, but it's not true for God. You know, so many people say, I'm good. I'm not in trouble with the Lord, for crying out loud. I'm living like everybody else around me. I'm in the middle of the pack. I mean, if I'm doing what they're doing, I got to be okay. I can't get in trouble, right? And that's not true. The Bible clearly declares what we've just said, that we're in the middle of the pack. We're all sinners, every one of us. And yet the Bible says that does not justify our behavior or get us out of trouble. The Bible says that every one of us has been determined to be guilty before Almighty God and guilty of death, deserving death. It's like God standing on the freeway, pulling every car over and writing a ticket saying, guilty, 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 guilty. That's where we're at. And so this denial of guilt, this, I've got to be good, I've got to be good, that is just terrifying. We can't do that. We need to face the facts that just because everybody else has done it too doesn't change the fact that we are sinners and we are in trouble. We're in the darkness. You know, Gary Lutz, 
with his uh, boys in that cave. At first, uh, he tried to deny the problem. Yeah, we're good, you know. His kids looked at him and said, Dad, you look like you're lost. And he said, no, 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 we're good. We're good, no problem. And then they kept looking around, kept looking around, and eventually one of the boys, their lights went out. Dad, are we in trouble? He said, oh, no, 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 we're fine, we're fine, we're good. And then the other boy's light went out. Dad, Dad, are we in trouble? Oh, no, 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 we're, we're, we're fine, we're fine. And then the third, the last, Gary's light went out, and they sat in the darkness. Dad, are we in trouble? Yeah, boys, we got a problem. Do you believe in the darkness? Do you have the courage to admit there's a problem? Or are you denying reality and trying to pretend that you're better than you are? The first step to living the Christmas story is humbly acknowledging, all right, there's a problem. I, too, am in the darkness. I, too, deal with the consequence of my own moral rebellion. And as a result, find myself separated from God and in need of a rescue. Well, that brings me to the second question. The one, do you believe in the darkness? And I believe, I hope, you can say yes. With sadness, you can say, yeah, yeah, I believe in the spiritual darkness and I believe that I'm a part of it. But the second question is so important. That is, do you believe in the light? And by the light, we mean the light that comes at Christmas. This child who was born, Jesus, do you believe in him? What I mean by that is, do you believe that he's your only hope? If, if you place your trust in the light saying, if you don't rescue me, no one will. And there's a lot of people who acknowledge the darkness, say, I believe in the darkness, but they don't believe in the light. And by that I mean, they think they can take care of the problem. They're like, all right, fine, I've sinned. I've, I've done a lot of bad stuff, but I'm going to fix this problem. I can take care of this myself. It's kind of what Gary Lutz did. Do you know that when eventually he sat with his sons in the darkness and acknowledged to them we got a problem? Do you know what his next response was? Daddy's going to fix this. He said to one son, you hold on to this side of my shirt. I can't see you, but you got to hold on tight. And son, you hold on to this side of my shirt and hold tight because you got to stay with me. And I'm going to use my hands to touch the rocks and to try to grope my way through the darkness and through miles of twisting tunnels. And I'm going to find my way out of this mess. And that's what people do today. They say, okay, I got a spiritual problem, but I'm going to fix it myself. And how do we do this? Good deeds. We say, I'm going to be the nicest, most loving person. I'm going to hold doors for people and smile and wish them Merry Christmas. And I'm going to give money to the guy ringing the bell at Jewel. And I'm just going to love on people and be so nice. And not only... uh, all of those religious, or I'm sorry, all of those good deeds, I'm going to do religious rituals as well. I'm going to pray over and over again, and I'm going to come to church, and I'll even stand in the back when there aren't any seats, and I'm going to just impress the Lord with all of my good religious deeds. And all of these good deeds and religious activity have got to outweigh the bad things that I've done. Do you see that? But the Bible is so clear. 
It's so clear on this point. It says no amount of righteousness or good things that we do will ever compensate for the severity of our rebellion. God says you've got to give that up. Your effort to impress the Lord and take care of your moral deficiencies is only uh, exercise in futility. You've got to get to the place where you give up. And you know, Gary Lutz eventually did that. Do you know what Gary Lutz did? He, he finally, after hours of trying to get out in the darkness, he finally stopped and he said, boys, daddy can't fix this problem. Let's sit down right here. We're going to sit. Daddy, what are we going to do? And he humbly said, daddy can't rescue us. If we're going to be rescued, it's going to have to come from someone else. And that's the essence of the Christian story. It's people who have realized that not only is there a problem, the darkness, I can't solve the problem, I need the light. And it's this humble recognition of our desperate need of Jesus. Jesus, you're my only hope. And you say, in what sense does Jesus rescue us? Well, he came to planet Earth on Christmas with a mission. And the mission was to take your guilt and yours and mine and place it on his shoulders, the guilt of the world on his shoulders. And then Jesus says, I see that the death penalty must be served to satisfy justice. Jesus said, I'll do it for you. I'll be your substitute. I'll take your place. And when we look at the cross of Christ, Jesus is dying to satisfy the justice of God on behalf of us. And in that loving act, Jesus makes a way for us to find the path to peace if we'll walk with him in faith and receive what he's done on the cross. Folks, uh, this is really hard. Uh, So many of us find it difficult to say, I can't fix this. It's kind of anti-American to say, I need help. Particularly anti-men to say, I need help. I saw that in myself this morning. This morning, I went to Jewel to buy a box, this box of matches for my little lighting of the candle here. And as I walked in, this Jewel uh, person came to me and said, Sir, can I help you find something? And I said, No, I'm fine. And I walked past them. I'm like, crying out loud, I can find a box of matches. You know, quite honestly, I was a little offended by the question because. <laughs> Two people had walked in front of me, and they didn't ask them, do you need help? And they come to me, you know, do I have a clueless look on my face or something? You know, I don't know. Do I need help finding a box of matches? I went to college for crying out loud. I can find a box of matches. Turns out it's more difficult to find a box of matches than one would think. None of the aisles had a sign that said matches on them, and I, I didn't know where to go. I used my reason, and I started down the frozen food aisle and said, it's probably not here. And I looked everywhere and I eventually saw a guy stocking shelves and I came over to him and I was about to ask him where the matches were and I stopped myself. And I said, I don't need help to find matches. This has turned out to be a little more challenging than I thought, but I'm I'm a determined man and I'm going to apply myself. And I looked, I must have gone up every aisle twice And then I started to say, I don't think Jewel sells matches, you know, and 
before I left, coming to that conclusion, I, I humbled myself, and it was just painful. I, I came and I said, would you help me? You know? <laughs> yes, sir, what do you need? Do you sell matches? We do. You do? Uh, could you show me where? Oh, it just ruined all pride, and I was guided by this very nice person, and sure enough, there they were. I'd passed them four times, you know, but they're sitting right there. To say help is one of the hardest words for us to say, and yet it's the essence of the Christian journey. It's to say, I believe in the darkness. There's a problem. And I believe in the light being my only hope. I can't solve the problem. Christmas light, Jesus, help me. And that is so hard. You know, Gary Lutz uh, eventually did that. He, he sat and he told his boys again, I can't save you boys. If we're saved, it's going to come from somebody else. And then what do you think happened when they heard their names called and they saw glimmers of that searchlight on the walls of the cave? What do you think they did when they heard that? What would you do? They called out. They said, yeah, it's us. We're alive. We're here. Over here. Over here. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, calls out to the Lord, will be saved or will be rescued. There is theological significance in that simple cry that Gary Lutz and his boys did. They were saying, in a sense, we believe there's a problem and we believe that we need the light. We can't solve it ourselves. Help, rescuer, help. That's the cry of faith. That's the cry of, I need you. And so when Jesus comes, that's the cry that must arise in our soul. Those who believe that there's a darkness and that they're in it. And those who believe in the Christmas light and that he's their only hope, they cry out for help. Maybe you've done that. Some of you can point to a time when you first cried out to Jesus, help. And you know, this service is a chance for us to re-enter into the glory of the rescue that saved our souls both for today and then for all eternity. But there are some who have never cried out help. There are some who are in this room right now who have done a lot of hoping that they're morally good enough, who have done a lot of striving to do religious things and good deeds in order to appease God, but you've never come to the end of yourself and plopped down in the darkness and said, I can't do it. Jesus, you're my only hope. Help. And I want to provide an opportunity for you to do that right now. The amazing thing about God's grace is that in any moment like this, when our heart cries out to him, help, I need you to be the savior of my life, the forgiver of my sins. I need you to be the leader of my life. You know, this passage says that you guide us to the path of peace. Guide me, lead me. I'll, I'll, I'll fail at following you, but I'll get back up and start following again. When you have that moment when you've decided to trust in Jesus and cry out for help, in that moment, he saves your soul. He rescues you. And that this can be your moment right now. I'm going to close in prayer. And then if you want to know that you are saved, you are rescued, 
Pray with me. Cry out to God. Don't say anything out loud, but in your heart, say, Jesus, help. Let's bow our heads. All right, Lord, we're going to get clean with you. Come clean right now. We believe in the darkness. It's real. That rebellion, that consequence, it's real. And every single one of us have followed the path of darkness and sinned against you. Every one of us, and we confess it. We're not all that. And we're also going to abandon all efforts to save ourselves, to impress you by our good deeds or our religious acts, and we're going to sit in the darkness in complete dependency and say that we believe in the light. We believe in the light. Jesus, you're our only hope. You are the light of Christmas. And we cry out to you, help. Help us, Jesus. Forgive us and lead us and love us in this moment. We cry out in all faith and dependence and cling to you, our only hope. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.